And God sent Jesus to come and to take it all. Every time you see judgment in the Bible, you got to realize that the judgment that Jesus received on the cross was worse. But that's why he came. God presents it as an opportunity to each one of us. Each one of us, no matter who we are, no matter where we've been, no matter what the story of our life is, he just simply says, come on, I just want you to say yes, and I want you to live your life in response to so great a salvation. In the Bible, we tend to find judgment difficult to swallow. We want God to just be nice all the time, even though when we're personally wronged, our attitudes change. The Father is deeply hurt and offended by sin. As Pastor Daniel teaches about the penalty of sin for Korah and his followers, it's uncomfortable. We don't want to accept that God's judgment can be harsh, but yet we still value justice. Listen and understand how God is always loved. Now here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message, Korah's Rebellion. I'll be honest with you, I think we need more loving confrontation. Now listen, I say that. Some of you have been confronted by people that love you. You're going to need to go and apologize for your reaction. That's what I want. I'm going to encourage you to do that. Because all of us, when someone confronts us in love with, and challenges us, what do we do? Oh, oh, you think you're talking to me? Well, let's talk about you, right? That's what we do. Because that's the way humanity works. That's the way you and I work. Because just like Adam and Eve, when someone calls us out on their, our stuff, we know that that person has stuff too. So rather than look at our own stuff, we deflect and attack. If you don't believe me, just watch any talk show. Every time someone makes a good point, they start to character assassinate the other person. Rather than dealing with the point, they just go on the offensive because I don't want to have to deal with myself. So if someone has lovingly confronted you and you reacted the way, you went the way of all the world and we all know what that's like, just go on a positive. Because they did that because they love you. They did that because they care. They did that because they want God's best for your life. That's why they did it. And that's why he got mad, because deep down, you know that they're probably right. Maybe you didn't like the way they said it and whatever. But it's like, you know deep down that there's an ability to grow and learn. Moses is right on. He's like, look, you guys got a great ministry. What's the problem? It's not a small thing. What did Aaron do wrong? And Moses really boils it down, because I love this. Verse 11 Remember I said that the issue with discontentedness is in the relationship with the Lord. Verse 11, therefore, you guys know, when you see the word therefore, what do you say? What's it there for? That's Bible interpretation 101. Therefore, you say, what's it there for? It's a conclusion. Therefore, you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. He's like, look, you're not against Aaron. This is against God, what you're doing. And the Bible teaches that every mistake that we truly make, that's actually who we're against. We think that we're against people. If you're fighting people, you're fighting the wrong battle. Our confrontation is against God almost all the time. 
When we are discontented, when we are being subversive, when we are being malicious and all these things, we're literally doing that against God. Against God. Listen, you wives submitting to your husband as unto the Lord, when you don't, you're rejecting God. Now, don't forget, husbands, the verse before that verse is actually submitting to one another in the love of God. So if you're not submitting to your wife, then you're sinning against God. And don't miss the fact that in those verses, women are asked to submit and men are asked to die for love. And I always say, if you give me a choice between submitting and dying, I'll take submitting any day. If that text is sexist, it's anti-male. It's not patriarchal, it's matriarchal. Women get three verses, men get seven, and it's all about dying like Jesus died. And that's just not me being a guy just trying to read it. Choose the side you want to be on. But really, wives don't submit to their husbands. They submit to God, and they trust God with their husbands. And husbands don't really die for their wives. They die to themselves as unto the Lord, and their wives get the benefit. See, really, the relationship is vertical, and it has a horizontal implication. It's not just horizontal. And what we make, we make the mistake of it, thinking it's a horizontal, it's an interpersonal relationship issue. No, it's a vertical. It's a spiritual issue that has interpersonal ramifications. And isn't it true that all of life is like that? We think it's just on the natural. It's, it's just a financial problem. It's just a what I eat problem. No, it's a vertical reality. It's our relationships with God and how that informs everything that we do. And we try and divorce the two. Pretend like, well, my relationship with God is one thing and my relationship with everything else is something different. No, that relationship has to inform everything else. It has to. And what Moses is saying to them, he's saying, you guys, you don't even realize this isn't against Aaron. This is against God. This is a spiritual problem, not just a organizational problem. So from there, verse 12. And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. But they said, we will not come up. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness that you should keep acting like a prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. Now, you see what goes on here. Moses said, this is against the Lord. And they said, you know what? You're probably right, Moses. So we're not coming. They start us. They don't want to follow this thing through. And what are they saying now? Notice. And this is how you know. These guys are all backwards. Because look at what they say. Verse 13. Is it a small thing? You notice they're going tit for tat here. This is like an argument in the Bible. You take too much on yourself. No, you take too much on yourself. Is it a small thing? Is it a small thing? You see that. This is good old-fashioned human arguments going on right here. But look what he says. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? Do you notice the language? Now, Egypt was the land flowing with milk and honey. Was it ever that before? No. It was the land of bondage. They were oppressed. Their kids were being killed. but, But now they're like, oh, no. So... Is it a small thing that you brought us from this great place where we were in slavery to kill us in the wilderness? Now, was it Moses' plan to bring him into the wilderness to kill him in the wilderness? Did Moses do that? No, he didn't. Not at all. But you know what the problem is for the leader when things get rough? You always blame the leader. It's the leader's fault. But really, 
The reason they're all going to die in the wilderness was because the people wouldn't follow God. But the leader's the fall guy. And they're saying, Moses, this is all your fault. We were doing great, Moses. We were in the land full of milk and honey. So good. But the leader's the fall guy. And this still goes on today. For a lot of people, the football season is over and all sorts of coaches are getting fired and all this stuff. But that's the way the world works. You blame the leader. We all know the story that's gone on, so we know that Moses isn't truly at fault. But some of their stuff here is just not right. And then he says, he says to them, in verse 14, Dathan and Byron say, Moreover, you have not brought us into the land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put at the eyes of these men? We will not come up. They're like, look, you're going to kill us. So they're saying, that you haven't given us anything. You're a terrible leader, and we're not going to come so you can kill us. But they started this whole thing. So it's unique. But when they realized, I wonder if when Moses said, you're against God, they were like, you know what, you're probably right. But it would have been a cool thing if they would have just said, you know what, we're totally wrong, we're sorry. None of everything else would have happened. They would have just owned it. You know what, we're out, we messed up, sorry, forgive us. Can you forgive us, Lord? We're sorry, we did it against you. This whole story would have ended up different. But look at what happens next. Verse 15, then Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt one of them. Verse 16, and Moses said to Korah, tomorrow you and all your company be present before the Lord, you and they, as well as Aaron. Let us each take his censer and put incense in it. And each of you bring his censer before the Lord. 250 censers, both you and Aaron, each with his censer. So every man took his censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and stood at the door of the tabernacle of meeting with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them, at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. Now, you see what happens here. Moses has a, what we would call a one-verse prayer. He just says, God, don't respect their offering. I haven't done anything. Does Moses go into a long diatribe defense on how good he's been? No. What does he do? He says, Lord, can you take care of this, please? I once heard Pastor Chuck Smith say that if you defend yourself, God will let you. It's a rough one, isn't it? If you choose to defend yourself, God will let you. Moses is going to let the Lord be his defense. He's not going to go tit for tat with these guys. He's not going to be like, oh, well, you... No, he's going to be like, Lord, will you just take care of this, please? And I think too many of us think that we need to defend ourselves. I think too many of us get too caught up in trying to self-justify, vindicate. When really, I believe that we just need to learn how to trust God. And oftentimes, God is working through all of this stuff for greater purposes than we realize. But also, don't miss the fact that the Apostle Paul did write some letters of defense for himself. So I wanted to make sure I put that in there as well. Because... Chuck Smith said, if you defend yourself, God will let you. You won't find that in the Bible. But there's some truth there. And I think for some of us, we're, we're so busy wanting to self-justify that we're not saying, God, can you just work this out? God, we trust you. We believe. Help our unbelief, God. The next day, they all show up. Moses calls them out again. You guys got to show up. They all show up. 
And we find here that they're all at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And it says, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. There was a, a visible, tangible manifestation of the glory of God. Which, my friends, we need to start praying that. Lord, can your glory appear in our midst, in us? I think we forget sometimes that God wants to show up in power, in awe, and in glory. And I think we need to ask for that kind of stuff. The Bible says you have not because you ask not, so might as well ask that God's glory may be revealed in us and to us. And look at what happens in verse 20. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. Then they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you be angry with all the congregation? And so the Lord spoke to Moses, verse 22, saying, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him, and he spoke to the congregation saying, depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in their sins. And so they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents with their wives and their sons and their little children. And Moses says, by this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. So you see what goes on. God says, listen, first God's going to wipe out the whole congregation. And then Moses and Aaron again intercede. They stand in the gap for the people. And then God says, listen, I want you to separate everybody from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Those three leaders, separate yourselves, and the earth's going to consume them. So for those of you who like natural explanations for biblical miracles, you would call this the sinkhole. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just go to Florida. I have family who lives in Florida, so I'm not knocking it, but... They're seeing those there where all of a sudden uh, a hole, it'll just soften and a whole area will just fall into the earth. It's, it's a, it's, you can look it up online. It just, some happened in the last year. It's very it's terrifying, but it happens. And so, so that's what goes on. Now, look at how this thing continues on. In verse 31, now it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words that the ground split apart under them. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korah, with all their goods. So they and all those who were with them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed over them and they perished from among the assembly. When all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. Then The Lord spoke to Moses saying, verse 37, tell Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, to pick up the censers out of the blaze, for they are holy and scattered the fire some distance away. The censers of these men who sinned against their own souls, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar because they presented them before the Lord. Therefore, they are holy and they shall be assigned to the children of Israel. So Eleazar, the priest, 
took the bronze censers, which those who were burned up had presented, and they were hammered out as a covering on, on the altar to be a memorial to the children of Israel that no outsider who is not a descendant of Aaron should come near to offer incense before the Lord that he might not become like Korah and his companions just as the Lord had said to him through Moses. Now, the test was if these guys die of natural causes, then I'm not of the Lord. And if something extraordinary happens, then you know that I am. And something extraordinary happened. See, we see, and we talk about this in the book, in the Old Testament a lot, don't we? That when we see God moving in judgment, and we struggle with that. We think that God should just be nice all the time. We forget that sin is so offensive to a holy God. Now, see, that's why our culture, our culture doesn't like Christianity all that much, because our culture doesn't like the idea of a God who is distinct. A God who says there are right things and wrong things. There are good things and bad things. There are things that are blessings and there are things that are cursing. We say, no, we want to be able to define what is good and bad. And we all want to define it based on our own sets of principles. And so the issue with our culture in the Bible is that we struggle with the fact that there is a God who has an understanding of what good and bad is. And that when we act contrary to those ideas of good and bad, that God is offended by that and takes action against it. How many of you have ever heard the old saying that the God of the Old Testament is vengeful and mean and the God of the New Testament is loving and gracious? How many of you ever heard that? Everybody. You realize that God never changes. The only difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is all the wrath that we see God pouring out on individuals in the Old Testament, God pours all of that out on Jesus at the cross. See, the reason we believe in Jesus is because Jesus took the sinkhole and the fire that you and I deserve because of our rebellions against God-given authority, and God placed it on Jesus on the cross. That whoever would believe in Jesus would not receive what was the just punishment for our actions. We all know sin has consequences. We know that. If you smoke like a chimney your whole life, you might get lung cancer. Or your kids might. Why? Because your lungs were created to breathe air. I, I spent a lot of time smoking before I came to know Jesus. And so if I came down with lung cancer, I'm not going to be like, oh, God, why did you do this? No, I did that to me. I did. Bill Cosby, I did that to me. But the funny Bill Cosby, before we found out that he was a scoundrel. Sorry about that. But you know what I mean? It's like, that kind of stuff, like when we have an act, every action has a reaction. And we forget those type of things sometimes. We, we don't think through what it means and why it happens. But listen, this is why Jesus came and died and rose again. See, God knew that the weight of the mistakes that we've made for each and every one of us, no matter what that mistake looks like, is too big. You can't bear the weight of it. You can't pay off the debt. It's too huge. And God sent Jesus to come and to take it all. Every time you see judgment in the Bible, you got to realize that the judgment that Jesus received on the cross was worse. But that's why he came. 
God presents it as an opportunity to each one of us. Each one of us, no matter who we are, no matter where we've been, no matter what the story of our life is, he just simply says, come on, I just want you to say yes, and I want you to live your life in response to so great a salvation. And whoever wants to can come. God doesn't say, listen, you can only come if you've only done these things wrong. No, no matter what you have been and no matter what life, if you come to Jesus, he will accept you, but he loves you too much to keep us that way. That's the story. However you show up to Jesus, he says, I've been waiting for you, and he won't leave you that way because he cares too much about you to want to keep you stuck where you are. And that's all of us. So change is the gospel word. We get justified. We get declared righteous and forgiven by Jesus. And then he starts to do a work in us by faith, by his spirit to change us. We all deserve what Korah and Dathan and Abiram, we all deserve, we've all pushed against or subverted or fought against God-given authorities in our life. We've all done it. But that's why we believe in Jesus. That's why we believe. That is why our faith and trust is in Jesus. There is something totally weird about this whole thing. If you notice that there's a sinkhole and some people die in that and then fire comes for the 250 other guys. And then God says, I want you to go get Eliezer, the, the next in line. He needs to go get all the censors from all the crispy people. <laughs> the crispy critters. That's good. We need to keep those because those are holy as under the Lord. Wow. This is a strange thing, isn't it? That even though the people's action was in rebellion, the censors that were used to bless the Lord are still set apart by God. And God says, look, I don't want you to waste those. Even though those lives are wasted, the vehicles of worship are still holy. And it just, as I thought about that, I'll talk more about that next week. There's a whole lot of ways we can get at what it means. It just reminded me that we were created for worship. That, in a sense, you are a censor that burns the incense of prayer as a blessing to the Lord. It was an instrument of worship. That's what it was. And it reminds me that the Apostle Paul, who said that we should present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service, or some of your translations have your reasonable service of worship. Each one of us was created to be a vehicle for blessing the Lord. That's why we're here. That's the main reason that we are alive today. We were created for it. And until we step into what God created us to be, Everything else in our life will never make any sense. It will always be a mystery. Jesus is real. Hey, everybody. 
everybody, Pastor Daniel here. There are two things that I love in this world. One is Jesus, you know that, and the second is coffee. There's nothing like a hot beverage to bring people together. We've all met people at coffee shops to have great conversation, to be able to spend time together in fellowship, and we love to drink coffee out of our special Jesus is Real coffee mugs. It's one of the ways we get the message out. And we want to bless and say thank you to the Jesus is Real supporters who help us get this program out and are helping us expand to new marketplaces that people could hear this message in other places. So Josh is going to come on with more information on how you can get this special limited edition Jesus is Real coffee mug. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. We are so very thankful for all of you that have supported Jesus is Real Radio. Every donation helps us continue and, as Pastor Daniel mentioned, expand the reach of Jesus Is Real Radio. We would love to send you your very own Jesus Is Real Radio coffee mug like Pastor Daniel mentioned. For anyone who supports Jesus Is Real Radio with a gift of $25 or more through the month of June, we will send you a Jesus Is Real Radio coffee mug as a thank you. All you have to do is visit JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the Partner option in the main menu. There you can send your donation securely. And as a thank you, we'll send you a limited edition Jesus Is Real Radio coffee mug. Again, that's all available at JesusIsRealRadio.com. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire team at Jesus Is Real Radio, may God bless you 